When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Knock, knock, hi. Knock, knock, hi. Hello and welcome to Knock Knock High with the Glockenfleckens. I am Dr. Glockenflecken, also known as Will Flannery. I am Lady Glockenflecken, also known as Kristen Flannery. We're so excited to have you here today. Thank you for joining us. We have a wonderful guest, Dr. Risa Lewis, Professor of Emergency Medicine. Yes. Ultrasound Champion. That's right. Hocus. She's got like three Ivy League degrees. Yes. Uh, and she's also a physician healthcare designer uh, mm-hmm. and... Uh, she has helped redesign uh, environments and uh, around ICU and infectious disease units in Malawi. And she's just done a lot of stuff. Yeah. And now um, an author. Now an author. She's got a new book, Micro Skills. We're going to talk about that. She has a podcast. She does, she does it uh, all. She's a Renaissance woman. A, a lot of things. Mm-hmm. A lot of things. We talk, we try to get to all of them, as many as possible. Um, and And so just it's. And we just talked about ultrasound. ultrasound. Yeah, and it's got you a little riled up. You're uh, not, you're uh, you're a little touchy. Ooh, ooh, little, little touchy. No, it's fine. For those it's who good. may not know, he has a longstanding internet vendetta against using ultrasound on the eyeball. It's not so much a vendetta as mm. like, a, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you doing it? <laughs> we talk about we that as well. It. We, yes. we don't really, it's not a big argument. It's just kind of like, a, let's talk about it for a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really appreciate her perspective on things and how to. Yeah, how... I got to go on right. I think you're wrong. <laughs> I think you're wrong about it. You're you're being kind of a jerk. All right. Well, let's talk about something else for a second. Um, <laughs> how about our live show? Yes, we're very excited. It's it is uh, right around the corner here. Right around yeah. the corner. We'll be at the improv in uh, Southern California. Three yep. locations. That's right. We're not at all nervous. No. Irvine, Ontario and Oxnard. Mm hmm. Um, I'll be honest. I didn't even know. I've never heard of Oxnard before. Yeah, same. I had heard of Ontario, but the Canadian version. Canada, right. So I'm excited to get over there and and see those venues, see the places. Has it been surprising to you, like how much work it's been to put together a live show like this? No, I mean, I've planned events professionally in the past uh, for different things. So I kind of know what goes into it all, but... Uh, I mean, not into a live show at a comedy club. That's a new one. But yeah, yeah. Just in general. Yeah. It's a lot more work than you would think to make things like that happen. It is. And, um, you know, mostly whenever I give talks, and I know you do too, it's 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 mostly a keynote type stuff. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's 
you're kind of as the speaker, you're going to the organization and doing something for them, for their right. audience. That's more on their terms. Right. Uh, it, it, that has a, a tone already set for you. Right. It's and you're more academic. It's more and academic. The expectations and, are kind of set. Everybody yeah. knows what. what and that's this just is. the way it is. That's it's yeah. great. That's the way it's supposed to be. Um, but this is different because like now it's, it's really on our terms, right? Right. We could do whatever we want. We can. And so we, we, you know, have uh, turned this show, used our, our insane story. Yeah. Mm. Yes. Insane is, is true. It's like, if you were writing this for a movie script, yeah, you'd get sent back many times saying this is too on the nose, like, like on. way too many things are happening. A little melodramatic. A little here. dramatic. Right. But it's true that in this time around, and so um, and so we've been doing so. We're got some really fun things planned with this show. I'm gonna yes. uh, I'm gonna incorporate some some characters in it, mm -hmm. um, and it's just a it's a story. Yeah, it's our story. So there's there's a lot of comedy. There's you know some tragedy, and then just yeah. a lot of major tragedy, but uh, is but it okay? also Every... hope and resilience because I survive. Yeah, I, I don't think that's a spoiler because here you are talking spoiler about it. Spoiler alert! <laughs> I am not dead. Um, yeah, and I, oh, I just can't. I can't wait to to do it. You know, yeah. I just want to get there. Yes. And, and see you the like crowd. an audience. I mean, as a comedian, love, you really I, need an audience. Oh yeah. You know, I love an I love an audience, and and I know it's going to be a, a great crowd. And yeah, I'm just really uh, excited. So we get to meet some of you. Yes, I'm excited for the meet and greet, and just it's it's really. Just stepping back, it's such a cool thing that like people are coming. Yeah, to, I know. Like, to see this us. is another thing. Like you have other than the fact here's here's my theory. I think that so many terrible things have happened to you health wise because otherwise your life has been ridiculously charmed. Like you've never had any career setbacks. You've been very successful. You've gone to all the best places. You've, you know, done all these things. You've made a second career as this internet comedian. Like who does that? Like nobody can be that lucky. And so <laughs> it it's the out. universe's way, yes, of evening everything uh, out. So we're going to tell okay. all of that yeah. at the live show. And we're excited. And if it goes well, yes. then, you know, hopefully Take we'll- Take it to other places. Yeah, go on tour Absolutely. 2024. So and, uh, and, fingers crossed. And thank you all for the support you know i've been thinking about that a lot just as this date for the live shows has come up um how lucky we are to have that kind of support from all of you listening everybody on social media mm -hmm. like we can't do it without you guys and That's so right. and so thank I you i can't laugh at all of his jokes all the time yes, so some, i thank you for being there to, to do that she's heard them all <laughs> all right you guys still laugh at mad me. So <laughs> my kids do too, by the way. They still think I'm funny. Mm -hmm. So, all right. Well, should we get to it? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Here is Dr. Risa Lewis. Today's episode is brought to you by the Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience, or DAX for short. This is AI-powered ambient technology that helps physicians be more efficient and reduce clinical documentation burden that we all know causes a ton of burnout takes up so much time, makes you feel overwhelmed, well, DAX is here to help. To learn more about how DAX can help you reduce burnout and restore the joy of practicing medicine, stick around after the episode or visit nuance.com slash discover DAX. That's N-U-A-N-C-E dot com slash discover D-A-X.
Hey, Will, do you know what my favorite December holiday is? Uh, Christmas? Nope. Hanukkah? No. Our anniversary? No. It's Wife and Death, live at the Improv. Oh, that is a good holiday. Yeah, we're telling our amazing story, live, in person. And we have a meet and greet before every show. You can get a photo with us. We can, we'd love to meet you. December 9th, 10th, and 11th in Southern California. We'll be at the Improv in Irvine, Ontario, and Oxnard. You can buy tickets and check out dates, glockenflecken.com slash live. We also have a special offer for our Patreon members. That's right. All the Glock flock out there. Free meet and greet with your normal ticket. Just tell us your username and you're in. See you next month. Well, thank you for joining us, Dr. Lewis. It's uh, I feel like we've been trying to connect for quite a while now and, and we're finally able to do it. Thank you for being here. Thanks you're for having me. You're a very busy person, which just speaks <laughs> to all the incredible things you're doing, which is one of my questions, which is how do you do all of that? <laughs> Gosh. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you both so much for inviting me to join. I had, it's true. I, I actually reached out during COVID to Will. Um, we were trying yeah. to do something for fun games wise. And I asked if you would be a judge and you're like, well, can I have a little bit of time? You had just had your cardiac arrest and <laughs> sure. you, were, you were like, I had a little bit going on. <laughs> you were like, do you mind if we touch base? Like, I don't know if tonight, this is like the right time. And I was like, holy Moses. And then of course it all went on social. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a great, uh, um, for a while there, it was a great thing to use to get out of stuff. So, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things, but, but yeah, you, you are incredibly busy, uh, briefly before we start recording, you're just going over all the things that you're doing. Uh, and so I'd also like to know how you keep your head on straight. Hmm. You know, I'm a big fan of, uh, deliberate practice, deliberate rest. Um, you know, I mean, I chose emergency medicine, so I like doing many things and having a lot going on, but I think we fool ourselves into thinking that we're really good at doing everything at all times. And, you know, if you read the literature or as they say, sometimes literature, the literature, uh, you know, we really can't multitask. And so, although I think most emergency doctors think they can multitask, uh, you know, I've sort of succumbed to that thought process and I've slowed down and tried to do each thing piece by piece, one at a time, kind of like the Pomodoro, 25 minutes on, five minutes off, 25 minutes on, mm-hmm. five minutes off. So it is a, it is a, an established thing that multitasking is not possible. If right? we believe the literature. Yeah. <laughs> literature. I want, Kristen, I want you, cause you always lord that over me. You say like, you're a great multitasker and I'm an, I'm a terrible multitasker. Well, I think if you so did, now I'm science curious is behind if, me. Well, hold on. <laughs> Because I am curious about if you dig into what the literature says about it. Uh, because I, I very, very briefly, like 10 years ago, um, saw some of that in the attention realm because I was in a psychology graduate program. Um, and so it depends on exactly how you're, you know, operationally defining <laughs> Multitasking. things. If you really want to split hairs here. <laughs> All right. Like, I think what's really happening is task switching, mm-hmm. right? Juggling tasks. So I suppose when I when I say you can't multitask, what I mean is you can't. I can't switch task tasks. Switch, yes. Which means what exactly? Well, just being able to kind of have all of those things going all at the same time, all the plates spinning in the air and not letting any of them fall down. You prefer to just like stack all the plates on top of each other and Mm. spin them all at once. That sounds very efficient. I I think it sounds great. Right. I don't have that luxury. 
So I have to have like all the different things, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there. Like I've got the laundry going and then um, I have some writing to do and, oh, the kids (laughs) need picked up and, you know, just all the things. Well, speaking of spinning a bunch of plates in the air, though, emergency medicine, that's like the the definition of what what that job is. Yeah. And I think it's also important for our listeners to know that, uh, Dr. Uh, Lewis, you don't um, you're not exactly the the the. uh, stereotypical emergency medicine that I play in my videos. Right. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I definitely have watched your videos and your character analysis of different specialties. But whenever I saw emergency medicine, I was like, that's not me. That's not me. And so, <laughs> but I do think there are aspects that are credible. Definitely there's a Pacific Northwest injection. Uh, but yeah, sure. I, I'm not walking around with my bike helmet. I don't bike to work. Some of those outdoor sports. It is true, though, that when you speak with emergency physicians in general, like people have many things that they're doing, you know, outside of their clinical practice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe you're a different kind of adrenaline junkie. Is that mm-hmm. what you think it is? You... Maybe more of an academic adrenaline junkie you or a creative adrenaline, adrenaline junkie? On, on reading <laughs> peer-reviewed studies. Well, I definitely was brainwashed academic. I definitely <laughs> actually, yes. Yeah. And by the way, you know, I so enjoy listening to the two of you and to your episodes. And Kristen, you nail it. Like you nail medicine, you nail medical ease, you speak medical ease, you have had to <laughs> translate medical ease, you know. Yeah. But um, you're right. I think probably I've been more of an adrenaline junkie via academics than maybe the sports. Mm-hmm. I, I can recognize that in you because that's how I am too. I'm more of an intellectual adrenaline junkie. I'm not so interested in hiking and biking and whatnot, but get me into something I'm really interested in reading or writing or thinking about, and it's hard to pull away. Maybe I'll have to have a spinoff character, another rival, not rival, but colleague of emergency medicine, Mm -hmm. my emergency medicine physician that's um, perhaps female obsessed, obsessed with, uh, with, you know, uh, journal clubs. (laughs) Or I I, I think it's like this obsession with productivity and, um, yeah. You know, circling you back go. to what you were saying about the, you know, the plates, I see it as, you know, patients get triaged as emergent, urgent, or non-urgent. And then when I go to a restaurant where there's an open kitchen, I watch them and cooks are just like emergency docs. Like mm-hmm. which plates are up next? Like what's boiling, what's not boiling, what can simmer slowly on the stove sort of cooks are like emergency doctors. Yeah, I can see that. That's a really good analogy. Another aspect of of your career that I find fascinating is um, the ultrasound. The old, so you've done. Um, uh, <laughs> you, you laugh because because I think you know where I'm going with this. Um, so you you've given a, a TED Med talk about point of care ultrasound. It's a a, a, um, a, f- a frequent topic of my comedy. Uh, so let's just let's just get this out of the way now. How are we feeling about eyeball ultrasound these days? Uh, I had a feeling we would go there, and I'm so glad to have arrived with the two of you. I feel psychologically safe, so it's good. Okay, good, good. Um, You know, truth be told, when I finished my emergency medicine training, I learned no ultrasound. There were no ultrasounds in the emergency department. That speaks to when I graduated. I finished residency in 2001. However, there were three very important people who are still important to me who had used ultrasound, and it was generally in limited resource environments. One did a lot of global health in Africa, one trained in a county hospital in LA, and another had done disaster medicine in Kosovo. And so 
they use this thing called ultrasound and they just seem to be really clinically good. And, you know, that's at the end of the day, emergency medicine is a clinical specialty and you want to be good. And so the opportunity came up to do a fellowship. And one of those mentors said to me, Risa Lewis, ultrasound has never gone anywhere and it's not going to go anywhere. Why are you going to go do a fellowship in ultrasound? And it's the only time I have not listened to this mentor's friend's advice. Mm -hmm. And years later, he said to me, Risa Lewis, I was wrong. (laughs) Because (laughs) within emergency medicine, as you probably know, Will, because the emergency doctors call you, they're like, the ultrasound is negative. You're like, I don't care. I don't know. (laughs) So it became really hot. And, you know, Mm -hmm. people started finding all these applications. You You could argue that people were looking for applications, looking for a case report to do some sort of study using ultrasound. You know, it is required for emergency resident doctors to learn it. And um, we usually are able to integrate it into our care so that when we do speak with our ophthalmologists, you know, there's a little more information we can provide. And also, you know, most people that are reasonable know that there are limitations. Like, I don't think there's an expectation you're going to go to the OR based on my ultrasound. Maybe if I can share these images or if it's an open globe and therefore you shouldn't be putting an ultrasound probe on that globe, you know, that's different. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I've, um, you know, over the years gotten in my fair share of arguments with, with the ultrasound aficionados. Uh, and I, I've, I've kind of come around on, I mean, honestly, what? well, n- not, <laughs> I, I'm trying to be, I'm, I'm trying to be very diplomatic here. <laughs> um, it's it, in general, it doesn't really bother us too much with the traumatic eye injuries that's that's when it gets kind of like yeah why are you why are you really doing this but for other things like flashes and floaters where you're looking for a retinal tear or a retinal detachment like i get it like this there's no harm in doing that um my point that i always make which really makes some people angry for some reason (laughs) is just that it doesn't matter to ophthalmologists that's that's the thing like it, it could be your word choice i yeah, don't know yeah. just a thought <laughs> it could be <laughs> now maybe you, you could say maybe i occasionally will say things in a somewhat inflammatory manner <laughs> um for comedic effect but uh uh in general it it doesn't that application in a typical resource setting i should say doesn't really move the needle for us one way or the other and people make good arguments about it. People in emergency medicine about low resource environments, which is what you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if if it's a matter of like you don't have a readily available ophthalmologist, and you have to decide, okay, I have I get like one helicopter trip per month to send to the academic medical center for something, and you have to decide, okay, is this worth it or not? Uh, yeah. I right. totally get it, you know? Yeah, because like, n- I mean, to be frank, I don't I don't know that off that um, emergency medicine clinicians r- really care if it does anything for you, the ophthalmologist, right? Like if it helps them do their job better in some way and it does no harm to the patient. Right. Who cares if the ophthalmologist well, needs th- it? Well, that's why I've softened a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think also, I think people definitely lose sight that this is a data point, right? It's a data point that you mix it in with your history, your physical examination, the patient in front of you, and the discussion. And I think the people are like, everything's normal or everything needs to be acted upon based upon these results. They've lost. They've lost the, what, the yeah. tree and the forest, the forest and the trees. 
Mm-hmm. You know, this would all be kind of a moot point with eyeballs if it was just easier to look back there. I mean, why does the <laughs> why does the eye make it so hard to see back there? That's 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 a whole nother thing. That's kind though. of ironic. So. There's a metaphor in there somewhere. <laughs> I'll find it someday. <laughs> but uh, but this your experience with ultrasound. That's it. Sounds like that's really set you on this a, a path in your career, in your academic career in particular. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah. Thanks for asking about that. I, I, you know, again, I had these three people and they really, I just had so much respect and so much love for them. And they just seemed to be onto something. And that ability to be better clinicians, to take better care of patients, of course, was very attractive. And so I did this fellowship and literally within emergency medicine training, all of a sudden it became required for residents medical school started being interested in teaching their medical students, fellowships exploded. Um, and a lot of faculty were stuck feeling very uncomfortable because they never learned it, but had this pressure to learn it. But let's be clear, and you two nail this in terms of healthcare, it's all about dollars. You know, leadership in hospitals, um, emergency department leaders became very enticed because it meant getting paid for a procedure. It's a billable procedure. Um, that was never my impetus or my drive. And also, I think that is one of the reasons why it caught fire, so to speak, is it was, it's a billable procedure. And, you know, all the codes have been amended to do a focused ultrasound versus a complete ultrasound, et cetera. And yeah, I think within emergency medicine, um, I always say 80% of people identify as educators, 20% as researchers. I never identified as a researcher, although I've published research, but I, I'm not NIH, I'm not sitting in the lab. Mm-hmm. And it was a fantastic means to educate residents. And again, all those levels of trainee as well as nurses and, you know, ultrasound guided IVs. Like there's been so many applications that really have prov- made us able to provide safer care with yeah. fewer out- negative outcomes and deaths, like with central line placement, as an example. And so it's, it's amazing actually that it, it, it's kind of striking that when you talked about when you first started training, there were no, no ultrasound machines in the emergency. And that was really not that long ago. No. Right. And, and now what is the, I guess, give me a sense for what the workflow is like in a typical emergency department in incorporating ultrasound. Like what is that? Is that just, is that like the go-to thing for, for most, I guess, internal medicine type concerns? It depends on with whom you speak. And I said it like that because I don't end my sentence in a preposition. With whom you speak. <laughs> Very good. We're well, all about, looking at your background, I, mean, I, I want to make why. sure that, we're all, you know, we're all about grammar proper here. English here, I mean, Absolutely. very important. So, no, it's, it's all depends on with whom you speak. And also, you know, it depends on also the practice environment. If you're with a group of faculty that never learned it, then there's a lot of hesitancy and you don't see the machine pulled to the bedside or actually just brought to the bedside because as you both know, you can plug it into an iPhone or the equivalent of an iPad or an Android equivalent. So there's the portability piece. And you know, in our lifetime, these machines, I used to push around this, I don't know how many pound GE that literally I have to put my whole body behind and move around to move to the patient's bedside. There was no room. And then it became laptop sized and now it's, you know, pocket sized. So there are some of us that um, wouldn't practice, would never take a job in a department that doesn't have the ability to perform ultrasound. And there are some people that are just so resistant to changing, well, this is the way we've already practiced that they don't practice. But Without question, central line placement, 
mm-hmm. peripheral IV placement in patients where it's hard to get an IV, people in cardiac arrest, like, you know, so much of what we did was like, I feel a pulse, I don't feel a pulse. And then, you know, if someone's in fi- fine V-fib or, you know, fast AFib, you may not feel a pulse. And so the ability to see that heart is just game changing. Uh, and again, using it as a data point. So anybody, first of all, every resident who graduates from an emergency medicine residency must be credentialed, must have completed a set of ultrasound competency examinations. So that's in this country. And uh, anybody who has trained within the last decade, I think would not take a job if ultrasound wasn't present in the department. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So for the non-medical among us, can we can you break it down? I mean, you're a healthcare designer, so I'm sure you think in terms of problems and solutions. Yeah. So why is ultrasound such a big deal? Why do people get so passionate about these arguments on Twitter? Yeah. You know, how is this a whole, I mean, it's been, you know, through most of your career that you've been doing, you know, ultrasound in some way or another focusing on on ultrasound. So for the people who are not in medicine, why is this such a big deal? What problem is it solving? Yeah. Great question. Great design question. Approaching with curiosity as we are. <laughs> and by the way, the two of you could be health designers with the way like, Kristen, if I could just bring up the example of when um, you were in the hospital with Will and you were trying to make a phone call, oh. but you couldn't because you were in radiology and you couldn't I've get signal. I've got a signal. lot of healthcare design things yeah. to say about that experience. 100%. Yep, I sure do. You have a lot <laughs> of like, you know, and, and that's, I think, and as you both know, I tie my experience with ultrasound to design. Like the reason I have a sense of how to think about whether it's a device, a workflow, fill in the blank, it's because of seeing these changes in ultrasound. So quite simply, ultrasound just gives you that data point, like I said, but you can see things that otherwise you were just looking for indirect methods. So if you're trying to see if someone has a pulse, you would feel, whereas if you have ultrasound, you could actually see the heart beating. So it's a, it's a visualization and it's very compelling when you have that aha moment. Take a woman who's pregnant, first trimester, and is bleeding. And the question is, is she bleeding because it's normal bleeding? Is she bleeding because she's having a miscarriage? Or is she bleeding because that pregnancy is in her tube and not in the uterus? Ultrasound lets us look to see just a very focused question. Yes, no, is the pregnancy in the uterus? Now, if there are fertility meds, that kind of adds a a bit of a... addition to what we must consider, but like there are just, it's the simplicity and the direct way to be able to answer focused questions um, and to make better decisions because not everything is an emergency. Not everything needs to be done right away. Not everybody goes to, needs to go to the operating room, but it helps you say, does this, can this patient go home and go back to the doctor tomorrow? Does this patient need to go to the operating room right away? Do I need to call the specialist? Or you know what? We're all reassured. You know, it just, it just provides this data and this reassurance. Um, But quite simply, there are images that allow you to see things that before you were not seeing directly. Right. So it's just a way to get a clearer picture, literally and figuratively, of what's going on with that patient. And is it relatively cheap compared to other kinds of technology or where does it fall for there? Is that another u- reason it's used so much? Like why ultrasound over other types? Back in the imaging? day, ultrasound machines ranged in, you know, now again, depends all these different specifics, but we'll say fifty to $100,000. Nowadays, if you get one of these more handheld portable, uh, it goes down to less than $20,000, some in the $5,000 range. And again, all different companies, all different uses, but it is, it's much more affordable. And 
as it's gotten more, smaller, more affordable, pluggable into your phone, you know, people talk about getting their own home devices. And in fact, we're seeing it. This is, you know, in our lifetime, we've seen these machines being only in the department of radiology parked, literally because they're so big and heavy, to now being um, sent to patients at home to do home monitoring of fluid in the lungs. You're asking, Will, about internal medicine. So congestive heart failure, they have patients doing their own home monitoring and looking at their lungs. There are case reports from COVID where COVID patients were noting their progression of their lung findings using ultrasound. And we recently did a study um, to see if people with no familiarity with ultrasound, no familiarity with teleguidance could you or will teleguide, if you were trained, you could teleguide someone with no experience where to put the probe, how to position it. Oh, look, I can get the picture on the screen and therefore answer some questions. I think it's just a matter of time before we see ultrasound at kiosks in an airport or in a drugstore or, you know, patients are sent one from their doctor's office, just like you're sent other like home tests. Um, And they don't need to do it, but they'll be guided teleguidance wise to do it. Interesting. And I wonder how AI will interact with that. You know, I could envision a future where you can do your own ultrasound at home and AI can interpret results for you and and with your doctor there to provide that human (laughs) check. Um, I don't know. Do you think that's where it's headed? Well, so this is why you speak medical and you know medical, because yes, some of these companies have AI integrated. So one application is to evaluate the heart and it'll, it'll, stay red until you manipulate the probe enough on your chest, up, down, right, left, rotate, clockwise, kind of like ours. And when you hit it, it'll go green. Like the outline of the heart will go green on the screen, which means stay right there. And now that, that uh, ultrasound machine can automatically calculate, for example, what percent of blood is being pumped out to the body. And is it a, wow. you know, a normal percent that we call it the ejection fraction or is it a decreased? Mm-hmm. And so AI is already, you know, integrated with some of these companies' machines. I mean, that's, that's impressive, yeah. but, can it, but can it measure the amount of aqueous humor production? I mean, I, I, that remains to be seen. I don't know. You won't let them find I'll, out because you won't let them ultrasound I'll, the eyeball. I'll be, I'll be impressed if that ever happens. <laughs> You're, you just, it's, it's such an awesome technology. In fact, the way you did talk about it, I always joke that, um, uh, that after residency, emergency medicine graduates, they, they're like required to do an ultrasound fellowship now. Um, <laughs> But you're actually maybe convincing people now, like, yes, maybe they should. Maybe, maybe that should be, should be universal. <laughs> Not to, just to, a joke. Because it's such a, it's it's so valuable now in, in so many different areas. And I, I think it's fascinating what you're able to do with it. If I can just add, you, they no longer, uh, fellowships are not required, and but residencies are required. So actually, mm. I think a lot of people are opting out of fellowship these days because they can get what they need during oh, their residency so training. Okay. But I think the way we've seen it spread is emergency doctors learn ultrasound now, uh, pediatric emergency medicine doctors are learning ultrasound, critical care doctors. So it's spreading into other specialties, hospitalist medicine, like it's sort of these, you know, it's just so compelling the safety that you feel you can provide that everybody wants to learn it. That's cool. Mm. Well, let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Dr. Lewis. Hey, Kristen. Yeah. Do I look like a cardiologist when I hold this? You look like you're trying to be a cardiologist. Because I'm an ophthalmologist. Well, and just like, what are you even doing with your hands there? <laughs> I, I do. I feel like a cardiologist. Yeah. Though. And that's the most important thing because of the stethoscope. Yeah. 
This it is, is so the, cool. The tool of the trade. It's an Echo Core 500 digital stethoscope with three lead ECG. It even makes an ophthalmologist feel like a cardiologist. That's saying something. Right? And it's got 40 times noise amplification, mm-hmm. noise cancellation, right. three audio filter modes, and a full color display. Yeah, it's bananas. It's, 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 uh, what stethoscope has all of that? I know. We Nothing. live in the future. No, just the Echo Core 500. That's right. That's it. Uh, and you can also record, review, save, share yeah. all the things you're listening to. That's right. It's, it's, it's great for teaching. It's great for, for just learning yourself. And also, we have a special offer for our U.S. listeners. Visit echohealth.com slash KKH and use code NOC50 to experience Echo's Core 500 digital stethoscope technology. That's Health slash KKH and use NOC50 to get a 75-day risk-free trial and a free case and free shipping with this exclusive offer. All right, we are back with Dr. Risa Lewis, and uh, we I, I want to talk now about uh, your new book. Uh, but actually, first, just it, it's the book's called Micro Skills, Small Actions, Big Impact. What are micro skills? Can you like, first tell us that? What are micro skills? So because you two both speak medical, you'll understand it. It kind of comes from the fact my co-author, Adara Landry, who's also an emergency medicine physician, she practices in Boston. We started talking about how to be better at work and that there are ways to be better at work, but no one sort of told us how. Like We felt like if we were to make a sports reference, there's a playbook and we wish someone had given us this playbook. And if someone says, you need to be a polished speaker, you're like, great. And then you're like, I have no idea how to do that. So we thought about breaking things down into small digestible steps that build upon each other. And so medically speaking, when you're taught to suture, to to stitch someone up, if they have a cut, you know, first there's all these steps. You're supposed to confirm their name and their date of birth. You're supposed to, you know, wash your hands. You're supposed to, you know, clean the wound, anesthetize the wound, irrigate the wound, then suture. Like there's all these steps. And so small digestible steps that then build upon each other and then they become wrote routine. And then you can actually apply those step-by-step when you're, I don't know, basting your turkey for Thanksgiving, something like that. Like you're like, oh, I can apply these. So they're just, um, eventually they are small steps that lead to the ability to accomplish greater goals. And then they spread out because you're like, oh, I know how to stitch. So now I can do fill in the blank or no, now I know how to speak. So I know how to speak in front of a large audience, but now I can have a one-on-one conversation with, you know, um, a colleague at work. You know, there's just how they can translate. These skills can translate. That's interesting. It reminds reminds me of some work I had done in the past, but not in the medical field for um, high school students who were learning how to do university level research uh, through a summer residency program. Um, And I was involved in, in teaching them like a lab class, essentially, you know, at night about how to be successful in a research lab. And, and that was one of the the things that we developed was kind of this curriculum around, we call it invisible systems, right? And it's what you're talking about, all these things that you're supposed to know, but, and, you know, are expected of you, but no one ever actually sits down and explains it, you know, and breaks it down for you in an, in an explicit way. 100%. Yeah. So that's very cool. I love this idea for a book. And I think it, who do you think it would be? Is it just for people in the medical field or is it relevant for anybody. for everybody? So we uh, intentionally wrote a book that is not just for women and not just for healthcare, that it's really the category that the publishers tell us is business self-help. So it's mm-hmm. literally like 
every industry. And we did a lot of beta testing, beta readers who said, oh, this would have helped me. So we yeah. really think it's going to land well with early career professionals. And when I say professional, we're not, I'm not saying like lawyers, doctors, business people. I'm just saying someone who's entering the workforce early career. Yeah. But we've had people who are firmly mid-career or even late career who are like, wow, I just learned some things. Or commonly we hear, uh, I wish I had read this sooner or I wish, wish I had read this when I first started out. So we're so, saying like 18 to maybe 40 but certainly even older is going to, uh, they'll get something. And yeah. if anything, Adair and I have uh, injected, I'd said that word on purpose, you know, position <laughs> that, but no, that we put in like little vignettes that are from our own experience, mostly in emergency medicine and medicine, but not solely, but uh, to kind of, you know, uh, you too probably have this when you go to a dinner party, everybody likes doctor stories. Yes. And mm -hmm. I'm sure you have plenty. Uh, so, I mean, you, so you did the Ted Med thing, by the way, um, which which probably taught you a lot about storytelling and you know, what goes into creating a story. Yeah, I think, you know, I, as I said, I was brainwashed academic. I definitely did the bullet points, like quote the literature and just like mm -hmm. there was not a lot of Risa in there. And sometimes Risa speaks about Risa yeah. in third person. And then, you know, when, <laughs> when I was asked um, to participate in Ted Med, I mean, they really, they gave you a storyteller. They gave you all these, they gave you a team to help you. Yeah. And it was very much about telling stories and it was not completely comfortable. Like, I don't know how you two are about telling your story. Now you might be, I don't know, but it was pretty uncomfortable. And there's this element of HIPAA and privacy and confidentiality. Right. Like, what can I say? What can I not mm -hmm. say? But I saw the power of those stories when I gave that TED Med talk and just the extent to which people related. And it's, I mean, I don't even know why I was so slow on the uptake with that. It's so obvious. Like we like reading, we like stories. Why? Right. But ever since then, I've never gone back. I've never not utilized stories in my writing or in my speaking. Mm -hmm. And as an emergency physician, I mean, you actually shared with us a few stories that you have from your career. Uh, and w one of them I have to ask you about um, that has to do with Shrek. <laughs> Anytime, if you're going to throw Shrek out there, like, <laughs> in I, we, we got to talk about yeah. it. <laughs> well, so um, I'm going to start back. I grew up in a small town and my parents always said, Risa, if anything happens, if you ever do anything, if you're going to get in trouble, please tell us first. Meaning like, mm -hmm. we don't want to hear about it from the police. We don't hear right. about it. Like, come to us, let us know first. So um, that should have translated to when I was working in New York City, I worked in an emergency department in New York City for 12 years. And one of the hospitals, two hospitals, and, you know, our shifts were divided, was right near Broadway. So we often had tourists visiting, Broadway actors, you know, people that were known for their acting or I don't know how you want to consider them, but quote famous, whatever famous means. So uh, one time someone who had been in, in a theater production had a, a visible bad outcome incident on stage. And I took care of the patient. And the patient went home and the next day, the medical director said, uh, Risa, did you take care of this patient? I said, yeah. And she said, it was in the New York Times. Like, I need to know uh, before it's in the New York Times. And I was like, oh my gosh. Well, it's because I knew he was okay and I, whatever. But I, I was like, you're right. Sorry, like won't happen again. So wait, wait, you you were contacted by the New York Times? No, the story of the actor being injured. 
Oh, oh, I see. Okay. Right. Because gotcha. every all the audience witnessed it and they said, oh, and he reported to this hospital. And I was like, Oops. <laughs> so um, next time I had um, someone Broadway. So this patient came in and he had not had an incident while on stage at work, but didn't feel well, came in. And he was basically like, well, you know, I, I was w- at work and, you know, then explained symptoms. And I, and I said, what kind of work do you do? And he said, oh, I'm in a play on Broadway. And <laughs> he had this perfect hairline rim of bright green Shrek colored paint. And so I said, Shrek? And he's like, how'd you know? And I said, um, just, it was amazing. It's a lucky guess. It's it was a very amazing. Shrek, Shrek to, uh, hue it was of, amazing. of green here. Yeah, very specific. Oh, that's funny. It was uh, amazing. I wonder how that play is. I bet it's good. It's on Broadway, right? Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Um, but why do all of its actors keep ending up in Reese's emergency room? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right. I, I, I have a little activity for us to, to do real quick. I think this will be educational and also hopefully a little fun. Um, I, I was trying to come up with a name of it. I thought like, uh, you know, uh, will it ultrasound mm-hmm. or uh, actually hocus pocus? Mm. <laughs> okay. I think it's, it's probably a good one. Anyway, uh, the, the, really what we're doing is I'm just going to give you a thing and you tell me if, if like it's worth it to ultrasound the thing. Okay. Mm. All right, so we're going to start off. I'm going to give you some obvious ones and then get into some kind of weird things. <laughs> How about the spleen? Ultrasound. Can you ultrasound it? You ultrasound it? Yeah. What do you look at? What, what can you tell about the spleen on an ultrasound? Parts of the body that are fluid-filled are very sono-friendly, as we say. So, yeah, Sono spleen's friendly. chock full of blood. It's sort of the all filter right. of, you know, all of our blood. So, yeah, definitely. Okay, spleen's a go. Uh we already mentioned the lungs. These are like lung fluid. So it's it's fluid around the lungs you're looking for. What else can you be looking for with lung ultrasound? Back in the day, they said, don't even bother ultrasounding the lungs because it's chock full of air and air scatters ultrasound waves. But the course has completely changed. It's one of like the top organs imaged. So hmm. you can see fluid. You can right, see pneumonia. If someone drops a lung, that pneumothorax, you can see that. Um, I mean, there's, if someone has fluid from either a stab wound um, or, I mean, mm-hmm. even this is sort of an extension of the lung, but when patients are intubated, you can indirectly see is there movement of the lung to indicate that you've correctly intubated the patient. A lot of applications oh, really? lung. Instead That's of, cool. uh, as opposed to like the x-ray that'll show the tube in the right spot. Yeah. You could so just see like the inflation of the lungs. The direct and the indirect and uh, yeah. ultrasound is one of those that you can see. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. The brain. Hmm. Well, you know, I, I went way back. The eye does not count, even <laughs> though the eye is an extension of the brain. So um, one of the first medical applications of ultrasound was, um, I think his name, anyway, he was a neurologist psychiatrist and he imaged the brain looking for brain tumors using ultrasound. So yes. Interesting. But there's a skull there. How does it work? So it's true. So um, you do have a, <laughs> I'm glad. a bit of See, a... See, I got that anatomy correct. Yeah. I know there's a skull surrounding the brain. Good right. job. Thank you. But there Appreciate are, depending that. on the depth to which the ultrasound penetrates the tissue, you can actually see... Um, sometimes you can see beyond the bony cortex or if people have had surgery and therefore there's like a, um, uh. a portal of entry. Uh, I was going to say though, there are parts of the skull that are thinner versus thicker in terms of the bone. 
So one of the applications actually when in acute stroke is people um, look at trans- transcranial Doppler. So uh, the answer is yes, you can ultrasound mm. in the brain. How does bone affect ultrasound? Mm. So it's really obviously solid as you'd imagine. So uh, ultrasound waves generally don't go beyond and they are reflected right back. So if you were to look at Lungs, for example, when there are ribs, you just see this long, dark stripe because sonographic waves don't go through. There you go. But I guess it's strong enough to penetrate some some ways. So the you thin could... parts of the skull, you can. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, all right. Learn something new today. There you go. Um, all right. How about kidneys? Mm. I'm sure you can ultrasound kidneys. Big time. Yes. It's a common one. They have a lot of fluid in there, right? That's right. That's right. I would think they, they do absolutely. <laughs> you're you're right about that one. All right, let's Cause, do because they make urine. See, is what uh, I was I, I thinking. I get you. I yeah. got you on mm-hmm. that one. Um, what about like joints? Like like now, now I'm just like kind of curious. Like ankles and like mm-hmm. knees. Like you guys ultrasound those in the emergency for any particular reason? Well, we we ultrasound virtually everything, <laughs> like everything. So. <laughs> Big time, like, yes. Knees, like, ankles. Why are you even asking? Any, it's like, yes. Any joint that might have fluid accumulated. Um, you know, actually, you were asking about like bone. Um, because there's often motivation to avoid x-rays in kids because they're growing and the radiation of x-rays or CT scans, yeah. you can even look to see if there's a break in the cortex suggestive of a fracture. So mm. there are a lot of applications of bones and joints. Wow. with ultra- Musculoskeletal okay. ultrasound is a whole thing. It's a thing. Okay. Gotcha. It's like you could do another. There's always ways to incorporate new fellowships into medicine. Mm-hmm. That's that's a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. You do sub sub fellowships. All right. <laughs> How about the stomach? Why would you ultrasound the stomach, Dr. Lewis? Great question. Great question. So uh, we actually wrote a case report about using ultrasound to confirm the NG, the nasogastric tube. Um, as opposed to an x-ray or listening, you know, with the pushing Mm. air into the stomach. That's one. Um, They, I mean, this is the uh, exiting the stomach, but in children, um, looking for pyloric stenosis is a big thing Um, as you're exiting the stomach. There have been studies in anesthesia, because you know how pre-op you're supposed to have be have an empty stomach be, quote, NPO, nothing by mouth after a certain number of amount of time. So you can see whether or not there's any fluid. Because in theory, you should not see, um, uh, the stomach is either collapsed because it's muscular or it's full of air. But if it's if it has liquid in it, then that means maybe, you know, the patient hasn't been NPO the way they're supposed to be pre-op. Mm. Uh, finally, um, it's uh, there have been studies looking at, um, like, looking for foreign bodies like uh, watch batteries and other yeah. things. Toxicologists have really wanted to look at it to see if you're looking at pills that have been ingested and, you know, is it worth trying to uh, flush out the stomach, stuff like that. That's kind of old school to even try to irrigate in that way. Usually they kind of just have you drink something to push it all through. Right. And how about the other end? Mm-hmm. How about the rectum? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a good one. So, tra- I mean, transrectal <laughs> ultrasound of that. <laughs> is a whole thing. Um, yeah. And in fact, they do yep. ultrasounds to look um, uh, at the prostate in men. Um, it's definitely not an emergency medicine application, although the one application I can see for sure is we see a lot of rectal and perirectal abscesses. So you wouldn't use a rectal probe, but you could use a, a linear high-frequency, you know, probe. 
to look to see if there's a collection of uh, pus. There you go. Just where would you put the ultrasound (gasps) probe in that situation? Hmm. So. Well, let's let's well, let's think about like a non-perirectal part of the body. Say someone has a thigh abscess. You know, we look at it in two planes. I have to excuse myself. <laughs> <laughs> two planes on this one side. This is the reason I'm on... not in medicine. I know, but you're very good. I mean, plus you've had children, so like generally speaking, like you're pretty yeah. good. You change diapers, like you know. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, she's, she's good. She can if handle. If I had to, he did it. He could. <laughs> Anyway, keep going. I'm sorry. No, but you, I mean, the Ooh, goal when you're trying to assess for an abscess, um, you know, you're trying to look at the area in two planes. So usually at 90 degrees to another. And ideally, you can compare it to an unaffected side. So if someone has an abscess or what looks like an abscess on one uh, butt cheek, you can look at it in the two planes and then look at the unaffected side in two planes to see if one looks similar or different from the other. Hmm. Abscessed butt cheek mm-hmm. does not sound comfortable <laughs> that sounds very uncomfortable um all right and let me let me uh, last one here i just want you to tell me like what is one of the more the most creative uses of ultrasound that you've seen done or that you've personally done mm. good question great question she pauses i put you on the spot no it's okay i'm comfortable i feel safe i told you i feel safe <laughs> <laughs> so creative I'm going to first, you know, this is sort of a generic and then I can be specific, but generically speaking, ultrasound guided nerve blocks have completely changed the way we take care of patients and relieve their pain. So elderly patients that don't tolerate morphine or dilaudid very well, you can now say patient comes in with a hip fracture, you can give them a nerve block, which bathes the nerve with anesthetic and analgesic and makes their broken bone, that area numb. And they, number one, you don't have all the side effects of making them having problems with breathing or low blood pressure or, you know, being mentally out of it. And you completely take care of their pain. So I think that's just like a really positive aspect of ultrasound. And, you know, all the conscious sedation that many of us learned, actually, when I trained, we didn't do conscious sedation. Then all of a sudden, conscious sedation became the most common thing in the world. And now people realize that it's very resource intensive and time intensive and et cetera, that nerve blocks, I think, are going to change our need to have to do conscious sedation in very, very good ways. Hmm. That's um, cool. Yeah. I've had one nerve block before and I was a big fan. What part of the body? <laughs> it was when I was having our first child. So I think I had an epidural and a nerve block. And I can't remember why I had both, but I know it was 20 hours after being induced with Pitocin. And, and it just, I was gonna, I was out of everything yeah. I had. I had given it my all and I needed some rest. And so they gave me those two things. Yeah, it worked. It did. <laughs> I took a nap immediately. And then I think, I don't know, like an hour later, she was born or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was, it was quick. nuts. Anyway, yeah, big fan. Yeah. The one specific, <laughs> you know, this isn't the most unique. In fact, this is one of the most common applications taught. And you know, I don't know if this happens to you, Will, but you're like, I'm sure, you know, what I do doesn't make a difference. Or do I really believe this? I don't know, dilating the eye, looking the back. But sometimes you're like, is ultrasound really like that amazing? And I'll never forget this case in the emergency department. And I'll tell you the case. And then I kind of, after the fact, I was like, wow, ultrasound really does make a difference. And then I was having this internal dialogue. I'm like, Risa, you've been doing this your whole academic career. You're not sure. Like, it's just like, no, but like, it just (laughs) continues to wow me and astound me. 
And the amazing thing about this case is it was witnessed by one of the residents. And years later, she brought it up to me. She said, you know, Risa, I'll never forget the time that we had that patient in New York City when blah, 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 blah. I was like, oh, you witnessed that. I'm like, I'm so glad I had a witness to that case because it compl- everything changed. So elderly man, very hard of hearing came in. He had passed out. And supposedly for a week, he had had crampy abdominal pain. So crampy stomach, stomach ache. And his doctor had said, oh, you have gastroenteritis, which is kind of like for you, Will. Everybody has a corneal abrasion. Like, you know, whenever people have stomach pain, like it's just like, it must be this. Maculopapular rash. Yeah. Yeah, That's that's the dermatology. Yeah, it's just like like everybody has gastroenteritis, even though they're not vomiting or having diarrhea, but it's gastroenteritis. I'm like, that can't be. Anyway, he had passed out. His blood pressure was low and he was hard of hearing. And so we met him in the trauma resuscitation room and they were like, all right, let's get into CT which means, you know, um, bring him over outside the emergency department to get image because it must have been, you know, the thought was because he wasn't responding that he must have hit his head or something with his brain. And I realized that he was hard of hearing and that's why he wasn't responding because, you know, everybody's like screaming 20 things around the room, but also screaming things at the patient. And as you get older and if you're hard of hearing, you just can't, you don't process the same way. Plus, you know, it's a stressful environment for many people. And I don't know why, but maybe because I'm an ultrasound person, I put the probe over his aorta, which is the big artery that, you know, goes down from the heart to the legs and brings blood to the body. And he had what is called an aortic aneurysm. So the big artery was ballooned out and it was so big that it had burst and he was bleeding into his abdomen. So that's why his blood pressure was low. That's why he had passed out. Because a lot of times when people pass out, everybody thinks it's the brain and it's in the head. Um, And that was probably also that one week of crampy abdominal pain that he had. It wasn't gastroenteritis. So I basically said, stop. He's not going to CAT scan. And I called the vascular surgeon. And you know know certain colleagues that will listen and will come and versus be like, I don't know you. I'm not going to do that. Mm -hmm. Did you get the CT? But I knew him and I knew that he, it was one of the, (laughs) one of the consultants that, didn't mind coming to the emergency department because as we know, a lot of consultants don't like coming to the emergency department. I said to him- She's talking about you. Oh, no, 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 just, I get it. I totally get it. I'm just scared. I'm just scared of it. That's all. And he came down and um, I also, because I was so sure of what was happening with this patient that I called the OR and I said, we're going to need an operating room. And I talked to anesthesia and he came down and he was someone that, knew that we used ultrasound and kind of respected it as part of our practice as a data point. And he said to me, can you show me? And so live, I put the probe on the patient's abdomen, showed it. And he said, okay, let's go. We're taking him to the OR. And he went to the OR, he lived and he walked out. And it was one of those, you know, like these things happen. Like for all those stories, there are plenty of stories that don't go like this, but it was one of those you know, it is actually one of the main applications. It's not a special or unique or case report type application of ultrasound, but I'm like, wow, it really does make a difference and can save lives. That's so cool. That is cool. Well, I have, before we let you go, I have to ask about what is probably the most famous use case or use of ultrasound in these particular kinds of ways. Now this was before it was all portable, I think. So it was a bigger deal, but uh, Tom Cruise and Katie Holmes, <laughs> when they were pregnant with their daughter. <laughs> I don't know why I remember this. <laughs> it's like who knows no how long ago? This. 
But they got there was because it was like a big deal. They kind of people were poking fun at them because they got an ultrasound machine or whatever it was at the time and purchased it for their home so that they could ultrasound their baby anytime they wanted to yeah. see it, I guess. And I remember there was like this public outcry that you shouldn't do that because it was like, I don't know, harmful to the baby or something. So why? But I don't remember the details. So why is it that you would not want someone to, especially these days? I mean, it's yeah. a joke, but it's also kind of serious now that ultrasound is becoming more affordable and more portable. Should people be doing this in their home, yeah. you know, pregnancy or otherwise, um, just on their own? Yeah. Yeah. So I remember when that was in the news, I didn't do a deep dive into the details. <laughs> and also, you know, I think it, that was sort of a situation where they could afford and perhaps I don't mm -hmm. know how they managed to get it in the home. And I could be wrong, but that may have even been a 3D ultrasound, which is not what we do in the emergency department, but mm -hmm. there are 3D. So you could really see the full structure. Right. So, you know, I think their thought probably was, we'll do this so that we can have ongoing monitoring. We can look at any time to make sure there's movement and look at the heartbeat, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it was probably, you know, probably intention, uh, well-intentioned to be a part of seeing the ongoing growth in the uterus. Uh, but I think, you know, it, ultrasound could be the example, but we could talk about any device. And, you know, at what point is it something that's for medical use only versus, you know, mm -hmm. uh, purchasable and usable in the home? And I think when there's hesitancy or pushback, it's like, well, will people know what they are interpreting? And mm -hmm. I don't know what the ophthalmological equivalent would be, but we have a lot of people that come in and they sort of have been taking their blood pressure at home over and over and over and over again. And they have a full list of all their readings. Now they're doing the right thing. They're told to take their readings, but then we come and they, we do it at triage and the reading is very different. You know, maybe rather than really, really high, it's, it's actually normal rather than really, really low. It's really, really high. And so I think sometimes it's, you can obtain the measurement, but you know how to integrate it or understand it or interpret it. And I think when there's hesitancy with some of these devices, um, there's concern about how it's going to be interpreted and, you know, yeah. one could guess. That's a that's a deep cut. Right. I mean, it is a deep cut. Tom Cruise, Katie Holmes. There you go. You pulled that one out. Yeah, that's impressive. Well, let's talk of portable ultrasound. That's, <laughs> that's what it made true. me think of. And I think when well, he had it, it wasn't even that portable because it, it was right. It was years it's a ago. Massive thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. That was part of why it was in the news is because it was just so ridiculous that a person would have one of these in their home. Right? Like a like, oh, Hollywood celebrities. Like a nineteen sixties era computer. You know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Takes up a whole room. Well, Dr. Lewis, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, let's go over your book again before you go. Um, you go ahead and tell us uh, where people can find it, when, what's it called, all the things. Yeah, I really appreciate that shout out. So it's launching in April of 2024, being published by HarperCollins. Uh, wrote it with co-author Adara Landry. It's available for pre-order now, Amazon, bookshop.org. Um, you can take a look at it in Goodreads. We'll be in all the outlets where you order your books, and it's called MicroSkills. Awesome. Well, and you also have a podcast, Visible Voices. Yeah, which and, uh, you two are going to yeah. guest star on. It's, I know. We're, that's we're, right. we're, we're, we're trying to make that happen, and we will eventually at some point. Yeah. <laughs> we'll Visuals are always tricky, but... Yeah. Um, so Visible Voices is... Um, it was a pandemic-era uh, project, and uh, just like you two probably enjoy these conversations, I just love the conversations, cover topics of healthcare, equity, and current trends. And the goal is to amplify people that are doing amazing things 
that are subject matter experts, but maybe even aren't recognized as subject matter experts. And some are and some aren't. And um, just trying to have good quality content with good people. Well, I'd love to Very come cool. on and, and talk about uh, uh, dressing up as different specialties and recording myself alone. In yeah, my I'm bedroom. sure there's a large audience for that topic. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, again, it's a pleasure to finally get a chance to talk with you. Same. And um, yeah, we'll see you later. Great. Thanks so much. All right. Let's take a look at a medical story that was sent in by a listener. So we have a story from Laura. Laura says, I'm a medical physics resident working at a radiotherapy department in Denmark. And this story was told to me by a colleague a while back. The patient had to undergo radiotherapy for cancer treatment. This meant coming into the clinic every day for six weeks to get a small bit of radiation. So every day you got to go in, right. get a little radiation, come back the next day, get a little radiation. Um, this let us let this lets us slowly fry the cancer while giving all the surrounding healthy tissue time to heal in between treatments. The patient had been told that it was really important that they show up every day for their treatment. A week or two passed and all was going well. Then one day when the patient showed up for treatment, they seemed a bit off, disoriented, like they didn't recognize the place or they didn't know the staff or who had been treating them didn't know their history, didn't really understand what was happening. Luckily, the treating radiographer was alert to this and asked the patient for their name and social insurance number before starting treatment, as is standard protocol. It turned out that the patient had sent their twin to the <laughs> clinic that day because they couldn't make their appointment. Apparently, they thought the treatment would work what? as long as someone, no matter who, came in and laid under the radiation beam every day. I mean, if they're twins, I guess you assume they're interchangeable. This uh, goes to show how important educating the patient is and sure. making sure that everyone's on the same page, uh, especially as um, t you know, medical technology gets complex. And <laughs> sure. <laughs> that's, uh, wow. Yeah. That's, that is a good sibling, though. It re that, really that's is. Really, that's above and beyond the I call can't of duty, make even my, for a twin. I can't make my cancer radiology appointment. Can you go and get radiation <laughs> for, get me? for it's, me? It's 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 not the correct thing to do, but it's, it's very thoughtful. It's very <laughs> it shows thoughtful. a high degree of loyalty that's and commitment. Great. Yeah, that's that's great. I mean, Maybe don't do pathologically it. so. <laughs> don't do it, but it's, it's a great. <laughs> uh, also, Laura says um, that uh, she wants to give a shout out to all the technical staff in medicine out mm -hmm. there Absolutely. who make sure the patients get treated and diagnosed safely every day. So shout out. And uh, shout out to Laura, who it sounds like is hanging out in Scandinavia. All right. Send us your stories send we want to hear them knock knock hi at human-content.com uh what a wonderful conversation yes that was with so dr risa lewis uh ultrasound uh, extraordinaire i'm glad we i finally got to, to hash it out a little bit with uh yeah with someone in ultrasound i've been you know um kind of poking poking for a while at the pocus now. yeah poking at the pocus <laughs> for a while <laughs> Uh, no, well, you know, some, some people don't even know what that means, probably, right? Like, do all medical professionals know what that means, or is that a specific point of care ultrasound? Yeah, it, well, I think all all medical professionals are we'll aware know. of it. Okay, but yeah. non-medical people have no idea what you're talking that about. That just means the patient comes in and and like one of the first things you do after like talking to them, figuring out what's going on, is you 
take that portable ultrasound and just put it on the patient and try mm-hmm. to see what's going on. So it's like... It's like what we were talking about the whole time. Yeah, it's like, you know, there's point of care other things as well. There's point okay. of care glucose checks. There's point of care other things. Well, there now there's point of care ultrasound. So it's like yeah. right when you come in, when you see the doctor, you're getting that ultrasound to see what's going on. So. Right. Um, yeah, fascinating. Really cool. Interesting stuff. And such a great idea for a book. Like somebody finally has come along and tell you all the things that nobody tells you. Yeah. Check that out. And uh, tell us what you think about eyeball ultrasound. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, and Or anything about ultrasound or anything about anything, anything else, I guess. It doesn't have I'm curious what the other ophthalmologists think about eyeball ultrasound because they have been suspiciously quiet online when you get yourself in these arguments. I think I'm just the loudest one. And <laughs> they all the rest of them have better things to do with their life and their time than get into Twitter arguments. <laughs> Twitter arguments are the most soul-sucking thing you can do on social media mm, because so- it's it's never worthwhile and then after or even during you just feel bad mm-hmm. like this isn't real life like i have things to do mm-hmm. to make myself a better person so what do you think this says about you uh, not anything good <laughs> not anything good i'm i'm just as much of a, a, a part of the problem that i'm speaking of here but let's not, this is not a referendum on my mental health. All right. So there are lots of ways to hit us up. You can hang, uh, email us, knock, knock, hi at human-content.com. You can hang out us, hang out with us on social media. We're on all the platforms. Check us out. Uh, also, uh, we, I'm, I'm just screwing this up. Hang out with us <laughs> and our human content podcast family on Instagram and TikTok at human content pods. Thank you to all the wonderful listeners leaving feedback and reviews. We love to see those. If you subscribe and comment on your favorite podcasting app or on YouTube, we can give you a shout out. Like Meeson85 on Apple said, thanks. Just came off a brutal pediatric emergency medicine shift and literally brought to tears by your soapbox about ED consultant calls. Thank you. We try so, so hard. You do. Well, I would That's like to give nice. Meeson 85 a hug because it sounds like they had a very difficult day and I hope their day is going better. Yes, I hope so too. And uh, and thank you for that, Meeson 85. Uh, full video episodes are up every week on YouTube at my on my channel at dglockenflecken. We also have a Patreon, lots of fun perks, bonus episodes where we react to medical shows and movies, hang out with other people that like being in the not, not high community or not not I community mm-hmm. and share your opinion about you know yeah. what we're up to and, and where you want to see it go you also get early ad free episode access interactive Q&A live stream events and much more patreon.com slash or go to our website glockandplugin.com speaking of Patreon community perks new member shout out to Ruth H hello Ruth how you doing shout out as always to the Jonathans we have Patrick, Lucia C, Sharon S, Omar, Edward K, Stephen G, Jonathan F, Marion W, Mr. Granddaddy, Caitlin C, Brianna L, Dr. J, Ross Fox, Chaver W, Leah D, K, L, Rachel L, Ann P, Keith G, J, J, H, Abby H, Derek N, Jonathan A, Mark, Mary H, Susanna F, and Pink Macho. <laughs> I did it all in one breath. Yeah, and you, it, you ended with a flourish. I crushed that. Yeah, That's, way to go. Good job. You, it's just a good collection of names. It just rolls off the tongue. I love ending it with pink macho. That really is the best. It's an exclamation point at the Please end. Please never yep. cancel your subscription, yeah. pink macho. We just we'll keep saying it anyway. We need you. All right. <laughs> Patreon roulette. Random shout out to someone on the emergency medicine tier. We have uh, Kelly B. Thank you, Kelly B, for being a patron. 
And thank you all for listening. We're your hosts, Will and Kristen Plannery, also known as the Glock and Pluckins. Special thanks to our guest, Dr. Risa Lewis. Our executive producers are Will Flannery, Kristen Flannery, Aaron Courtney, Rob Goldman, and Shanti Brooke. Our editor and engineer is Jason Portiza. Our music is by Omer Binsvi. Yes, you I know I said Rob right. correctly. All right, you're welcome, Rob. <laughs> to learn about our Knock Knock Highs program disclaimer and ethics policy, I just like, like... Such vitriol. Well, I, it's like, I, like <laughs> I should be saying his name correctly. I don't know why, like... It's, yeah, it's you're like, real aggressive today. Are you doing I, okay? I, I'm fine. We got we talked Weather about ultrasound to today. Oh, it's just yeah, like got it, you riled it, up. It gets me going. That's, that's mm. To learn about our Knock Knock Highs program disclaimer and ethics policy, submission verification and licensing terms, and I know you're all waiting for it, HIPAA release terms, you can go to glockandplugin.com or reach out to us at knockknockhighatuman-content.com with any questions, concerns, or fun medical puns. Knockknock High is a human content production. Kristen, would you say we have a busy life? Yes, I would say that's an understatement. We got the kids. Yeah, the house. Our, we got the podcast we run. Yep, our jobs. Yeah, I do film skits from time to time as yeah, well. Yeah, we have a lot of demands on our time. You know who else has a lot of demands on their time? Who? Physicians. That is true. Yeah, and a lot of it's documentation. Mm, yeah. It really, it leads to burnout and everybody just feels overwhelmed, like they can't keep up. You know what would help with that? What? The Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience, mm. or DAX for short. What a cute name. I love that name, right? Yeah. DAX. It just rolls off the ticket. DAX, give me some DAX. I Help, need some DAX. DAX. Help us, DAX. We need to be able to uh, improve the patient-physician relationship, and DAX is here to help. It's this AI-powered ambient technology that just helps you with your documentation and just allows you to return to doing what you want to do as a physician, take care of patients. To learn more about the Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience or DAX, visit nuance.com slash discover DAX. That's N-U-A-N-C-E dot com slash discover D-A-X.